Welcome to Hashing Out the Law, Episode 14, SB 10, and National Bail Reform. I'm your host, Ari Shashemi. This is the podcast where we discuss and hash out legal issues and our topics. Our guest this episode is the Executive Director of the American Bail Coalition, Jeff Clayton. Jeff is also a licensed attorney and most recently has worked as the General Counsel for the Professional Bail Agents of Colorado. On today's episode, Jeff and I will be discussing California's SB 10 and the national bail reform. Okay, with us we have uh, Mr. Jeff Clayton. He is um, Executive Director of the American Bail Coalition. Uh, amongst the many other hats that he wears. How are you doing, Mr. Clayton? I'm well. How are you today? I'm doing great. Uh, it's kind of rainy over here. I don't know how it is where you are, but it's very gloomy, so I'm kind of uh, sad today. <laughs> well, that's rare for, for Southern California. we got a sunny day here in Denver. Uh, that's great. I used to actually uh, live in Colorado Springs when I was a child, but uh, that's another story. <laughs> so, uh, Mr. Clayton, let's talk about... Uh, this national bail reform that's happening. I know New Jersey is one of the states that 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 is trying this new thing, uh, and then we have California with SB 10. But I'm going to let you start it off and, and tell us uh, what this phenomenon is that's happening nationwide. Well, it really kind of began uh, 10 years ago, and it's kind of the second generation of this uh, type of bail reform. And generally, it flows from. The idea that we think it's unfair for some people who um, are unable to post bail, we feel like if they were rich, they could have posted bail, so so, so that's unfair, and that we need to look at uh, some of these people who are sitting in jail on un- unposted bails. For some people, they say, not only do we need to look at that, we should just eliminate all um, monetary bail from the system and go to more sort of the federal or the New Jersey system where we... Uh, make decisions as to whether people are locked up or not, uh, rather than making decisions as to what the appropriate bail is and then seeing what happens. So I'd say it's really picked up steam in the last 10 years, and really since I came into this job in 2015, um, it's probably been one of the top two or three issues, I'd say, in criminal justice. Now, as far as the federal bail reform and, and, and the New Jersey one that you mentioned, there's been lots of talk about it in, in California. Uh, the, the people who are opposed to SB 10 in California are bringing up New Jersey and, and all the problems that it, it, it creates over there. Could you go over the, the pros and cons of what you think uh, New Jersey has and, and how California is trying to implement it? Sure. I, th- I think in this country for a very long time and in New Jersey, you know, preventative detention, detention without bail was the exception. Uh, rarely used, occasionally used. Uh, and so to go to the no-money bail system rather than imposing a bail and then sort of waiting to see what happens, whether they post it or not, you know, we make decisions as to who we want to lock up. And so what we've seen in New Jersey and in the federal system is when you give the government such staggering power over people's lives to make – to either threaten to lock them up or to actually lock them up, that the government will use the power more and more. And that's what we're seeing as times goes on, both in New Jersey and in the federal system, which has tripled um, pretrial incarceration uh, since the Federal Bail Reform Act of 1984. And then on the other side of things, what we're seeing is if judges don't have the ability to, to impose bail as one of the options, um, they're going to supervise nearly everybody. And so in New Jersey, 82% of all defendants who are released are being supervised by the government. So without bail as an option, you see push 
a push on both ends. One, to either over-supervise over, over people or two, to over-incarcerate people uh, as the alternative to bail. So that's one of the things that I hear everybody in California talking about is, is uh, the government has so much power now on deciding who gets to, to get out and who gets to stay in. Um, in your opinion, what do you think is, is the pros and the cons of what they're trying to implement. I, I know that it's a good-hearted effort, you know, to to tr try to let everybody who can't afford bail have an opportunity to be released while their case is pending. But that's one one thing is theory is one thing, and and in reality, exercise is another thing. What a, what about your opinion? Well, there's an article in 1985 of uh, the Northwestern Law Review that says preventative detention. Uh, an in a constitutional but enemy ineffective means of crime control policy, and the rationale, the argument is that pretrial crime by felons uh, is so low because the time periods are so short uh, that you would have to lock up, you know, 10 to 20 times the number of defendants uh, necessary to prevent one defendant. And one of the examples in the article is you'd have to lock up 10 people under one statute uh, in order to stop one person. So the perceived benefits of pretrial detention are are much higher than reality, and I think that is um, going to be abused in California. And the other thing is the prosecutors can get extensions. So right now, I mean, if you're charged with a crime that's bailable by the schedule and you post bail, you're out. Uh, and under the new methodology, 48 hours before we find out if you're going to get out, then the prosecutor files for preventative detention. He gets three days on that and can file for another three-day extension. So, you know, you could spend eight to nine days in jail before a judge ever sees you or decides whether you're getting out or not. Now, I, right now the rule says that if you're incarcerated or you're arrested for a crime, they have to bring in front of judge within 48 hours, meaning they either have to file charges against you, decide that they're going to let you go and not file charges, or let you go and file charges later. Um, if, if they implement this, won't that be an exact opposite of the rights that's, that people have now? Yeah, I mean, it's more jail for all, really. And that's, you know, if you look at when um, we, I was up in court last week in San Francisco on the bail case up there, the judge basically said, look, wouldn't it be more fair for everybody just to see a judge within 48 hours? And to those who post bail, the answer would be no. I'd rather post bail and get out. Uh, even if it's later lowered. And so um, the other thing that we discovered in, in um, San Francisco is there's a percentage of defendants that are not getting in front of a judge within 48 hours. And when we go to the new system, if it's not you know, properly resourced, you're going to see lengthy delays of people, and you probably get a bunch of habeas filings at one point um, because of these administrative delays. So that sounds like to me that it's going to create more problems than to solve some. Is yeah, I mean, I think the – yes, I think so, and I think – the best answer to this concept that we need to have a mini-trial of somebody's bail um, would be to speed up the trial in the first place. I mean, why are we trying to determine if somebody's a danger pre-trial when we could just speed the whole process up? And, you know, that has been historically um, the number one answer to these bail problems uh, from the most fair and bipartisan perspective is the faster the process is, the more fair it is to everybody. Right. But I think uh, as a criminal defense attorney, I think that creates more problems on the other end. It, you don't have as much time to prepare a, a proper defense, I, I would argue. Uh, we actually like our clients to be on the outside where they can help us with the defense uh, than 
rather than being in the inside sitting there. Um, with that said, let's talk about some of the concerns of the civil rights groups, including ACLU, with, with this uh, national bail reform. What are some of their concerns? Well, it's really twofold. We've kind of hit them both already. One is the idea that we're going to use preventative detention as, as the alternative. And the interesting part about it, that this debate in California was it was open more doors to get more people out uh, up until the legislation passed. I mean, there was no talk of preventative detention uh, until three days before this bill became law. So that's number one, is that the answer to this bail problem is to give government more power to lock more people up. Uh, and the other one has really been the algorithm, the uh, risk assessment process. The uh, Supreme Court issued um, draft rules to try to implement Senate Bill 10, uh, and the civil rights groups from across the country uh, essentially told them that Senate Bill 10 is fatally flawed and that there's whether they can remedy it through any rule uh, is, is suspect. And the rules didn't even embrace, you know, what is validity, for example, who validates a tool, what makes it valid, when does it need to be validated and revalidated? Does it need to be free from bias? All this sort of thing um, has been a major issue, and, I, and I'm not really sure anybody's going to be able to figure this out uh, in re any reasonable amount of time. I agree with you on that. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. SB 10 was supposed to go into effect, but they, they've gathered enough signatures to put it on the ballot in 2020, so there's a stay on SB 10, correct? That's right. And final word will... Um come on that topic, I believe, on Thursday when the final counts uh, come back. But the latest numbers I've seen show that it's virtually a certainty that the um, Secretary of State will move forward, uh, and the stay is already in place at this point. Okay. Um, now, if you could fix the problems with SB 10 or the problems that people perceive in it, how would you, how would you do that? And when I say you, I don't mean personally you. I mean in general. Sure. I, you know, I think we've said for three years, four years, even five years, that the bail schedules in California are too high. Uh, and they're too high for various reasons, but one of the reasons is it's the cheapest place per dollar to get bail in California. And so the amounts mean nothing if they're postable, and they mean an extreme if they're not postable. So you look at the Humphrey case, $300,000. Well, if you can't post that, that's extreme. But if you're walking out on a payment plan and not putting any dollar putting a single dollar down, uh, which happens in California on bonds that size, uh, then it really doesn't mean much, uh, and then it's generally not collected. But the general message is the bond schedules uh, need to come down. They've, they've created a mess in the marketplace. Um, they're just too high, and the incentives are not necessary to bring people back. Uh, you could have lower bonds and still have bondsmen chasing them around. So that's one thing. Uh, and I think there are due process issues in California, as we've seen, that People can't get meaningful reviews in front of a judge in a timely uh, fashion, uh, even in San Francisco uh, would be another one. We've looked at uh, stacking of charges has been a one where we've um, where we've certainly seen some abuses. Um, and I guess those sort of be the top three. We had other uh, ideas that we pitched to the legislature, but those were the top three that we were suggesting. Now, we're based in California. Uh, so, um, some, most of our listeners uh, are California-based, and I, I know that this national bail reform is, is national, but let's concentrate a little bit on, on SB 10, because mm -hmm. the listeners and myself are very curious about it. Now, <clears throat> you mentioned that there was no talk of, uh, um, I'm sorry, what did you say, three days before the bill was passed, there was no talk of 
preventive um, detention policies. Prevent, preventive detention policies. Do you think that was done on purpose, or do you think that was uh, just an accident? I think it was done on purpose. Uh, somebody doesn't, you know, remake California's entire history of bail in three days um, on accident. Uh, and if they did, you know, shame on them. But I think it was necessary because I think the legislation was perceived um, by some moderates as having been going too far and to give sort of law enforcement this trade of law enforcement, the district attorneys, to say, ah, but we'll give you, you know, greater powers to lock up the people you want to lock up. Probably, um, you know, getting the support of some district attorneys, and we haven't figured out which ones supported it, but we know that we think that some did, um, probably was enough for moderate um, leaning people in the legislature to say this is probably a, a reasonable trade. Now, this is a very, very um, powerful bill that they're trying to pass, and it's a surprise to me that they, they just ran it through without putting it to a vote. Now, I'm assuming or that's my personal belief that that was done on purpose as well because if it went to the people it would have it would have never passed what do you think yeah and i think it was really the civil rights groups i mean you had 50 civil rights groups opposing the legislation when it came out on a friday and you know it became you know law on a wednesday so you know the longer they left it out there the longer opposition to it was going to grow um and i think they knew that and so getting it through as quickly as they could was the strategy, and it worked. And had they waited another week or two, I'm not sure it would have passed. I agree with you on that. Now, let me ask you this. Is there a, a model that you think California should follow, or is, or is there certain things from different models that California should adopt? Yeah, I think there's certain things from um, different states um, that should be adopted. Uh, and I think you know, the state of Connecticut has what I would consider a fairly well-operating hybrid system. The bonds are fairly low. Um, and, you know, you could look at uh, other states that focus it more as an appearance bond versus sort of a public safety considerations. Um, but I think the, the main thing is just getting the um, bail marketplace back into balance. Uh, and I think the number one thing to do is just to lower the bond schedules. And I don't know how you do that. I mean, we also thought about this idea of maybe, you know, force the judges to have due process on how they set these, you know, how do they set them, why do they set certain amounts, et cetera, or maybe we just phase them down. We say the bond schedules are going to drop by a certain amount in California over the next X years until we get to, you know, a better place. Now, on Thursday, when we officially find out the number of signatures opposing SB10 um, and it goes to the ballot, let's say it, it doesn't it doesn't survive the, the, the ballot on 2020. Um, is there going to be another crack at this by, by the legislature, do you think, or will they give up? Or what do you think the next step will be? Well, I think really what we need to do, what needs to be done, uh, and maybe it's outside of, you know, the nice white building in Sacramento, is to figure out what would be a fair compromise, what would be a good hybrid system to promote all the goals that we want, uh, not to say we're going to enrich the bail industry, but to say that, you know, you're a necessary part of the system and maybe there's some debate as to how much it should be, but that, uh, you know, we should leave all doors open. And that's kind of the thing that I've heard that, that from various interest groups is we want to create more ways for people to get out of jail, not fewer. And that's what this legislation does. And to take away bail entirely, probably not a good idea either, because for those that can use the bail system or post their own assets, it is the least restrictive 
um, you know, way to get out of jail. So I think in a, a conversation outside the building and some compromise uh, will be necessary, um, you know, regardless, because nobody wants Senate Bill 10 and nobody wants the present system. And so trying to find, um, you know, some alternative, I think, is where we need to go. Do you think that conversation outside the building will ever take place? Well, yes. <laughs> and I, I would say it sort of is taking place. Um, I think a lot of groups are talking amongst themselves. Uh, I've certainly talked to a few uh, of the different groups sort of on both sides of the coin. And I think everyone recognizes that what passed was not what we wanted. Um, why it passed is beyond me. Um, but that we need to go back to the drawing board. And I think, you know, there is a way to do this that makes sense. I know that this SB 10 was actually the brainchild of, of a state legislator, but do you know who planted the seeds in his brain? Or why? Um, well, this has been pushed by the Pretrial Justice Institute. It's been put, uh, which is funded by, um, you know, George Soros' foundation. So there's a lot of money uh, on this issue. Uh, being against money bail has been a litmus test issue for fundraising for certain candidates, uh, meaning that you have to be against money bail in order to fundraise as a viable, you know, presidential, senatorial uh, candidate. And I think uh, Kamala Harris's example is probably the best one you can give. You know, when it became time to run for Senate, she stopped defending California's bail laws, and her first bill was to eradicate money bail. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of financial incentive for candidates to be anti-money bail, and that's what drives a lot of this. And then I think it's just the heartstring stories. I mean, people get in this mentality that, you know, because Bill Cosby could roll in and post that bail, that it's unfair. And I think there's a lot more, you know, to it, and judges take a lot more into consideration than that. Right. I agree with that. Now, I, I know you're, you're a very busy man, and, and we're and we're very honored to have you on and giving us your time. Um is there anything else you'd like to touch upon before we conclude uh, this session? Well, I would encourage your listeners to go to the UCLA Criminal Law Review webpage and read the most recent um, edition, because there's, there's four articles on bail reform, one of which I drafted, and it, get, it really gives an insight as to what all the moving parts are and what the issues uh, are, because this is, it sounds like a simple issue, but it's really not. Yeah, we'll be sure to include a, a link to that uh, on the Podcast, podcast. I'm sorry, podcast and um, episode uh, introduction and and everything else. It's been a pleasure to have you on. I, I really appreciate it. I could take your time all day talking about this because this is a very important issue in California, and, and a lot of people have a lot of questions about it. Um, is there uh, is there a, a, a website or uh, a number that people have questions about SB10 and its ramifications that they can go to the public. Yep, go to ambailcoalition.org. Ambailcoalition.org. And we will include that link in, in everything as well. I appreciate your time. It was a pleasure, and uh, uh, I wish you success. You got it. Thank you. Have a good afternoon. Thank you. You too. All right. Take care.